Good morning, Burlington Baptist. We'd love for y'all to stand with us and do a little praising. So if y'all want to, no touchy-touching, but turn around, wave to somebody that you haven't seen in a while. And let's lift our voices. Come, let us worship the King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. A hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captain and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the light. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great been faithful through every storm. You'll be faithful forevermore. You have done great things. And I know you will do it again. Cause your promise is yes and amen. You have done great things. God, you do great things. A hero of heaven, you conquer the rain. You free every captive and break every chain. Oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken the light. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. Oh God, you have done great Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great. 
Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. Raise your hand if you think it's a beautiful day outside. Everybody with their hand down, you can leave now because you got a bad perspective on life. That's all I'm going to say. No, we are blessed today. It was beautiful coming in this morning. Um, I was talking to my friend John Walton, and uh, years ago when they built 18, the one thing I can tell you is they built it due east. Because when we turn out of our driveways and come this way, you are blinded by that sun. It hits you straight there. But it's also just running into the beauty of the day, and especially on a fall day like this, we have so much to be blessed about and we're thankful for. If you're our guest today, we want to say welcome to you. We want to tell you that we uh, hold it a privilege to be able to have you join us for worship, whether you're here or you're online. It's just so great to have you in God's house today, and we just pray that you have a great day of worship. We want to provide every opportunity for you to um, have a great time with God today, whether it's in Bible study or in worship. So if you have any questions or any needs, don't hesitate to ask our wonderful greeters who are in the back. They can point you um, in any direction. If you have prayer requests, great place you can go back and you can share those at the desk. If you're in the house, if you're online, you can write those down in the comment section or even call the church office this week. But don't hesitate to call on us because we're here to serve. This week is special. I grew up the son of a pastor, but also a historian. And my father and I were talking last night. Yesterday was his birthday. And I always, whenever I call him on his birthday, I don't call him and say happy birthday. I say happy armistice day. Because he taught to me the cost of so many, especially this year when we're looking at uh, all the stuff that we've just gone through and the way our country's moving. We still want to uh, be thankful for our freedoms, and we thank God for that. And we know that we've had individuals that have shared in harm's way over many battles and through many uh, trials around the world uh, to make sure that our freedom here in the United States is protected. And I wanted to take a moment in honor of those people today just to ask you if you have served in our armed forces, if you've done it, just to please stand up so we can recognize you today. Let's give them a round of applause. It doesn't matter the branch of service. It doesn't matter um, the places that you served. When you carry Christ with you, and we're so thankful uh, that you had Christ that guided your direction as you were serving our country. Um, it's always great to know that our Heavenly Father, who is in control of everything, all this other chaos and stuff, that's just a distraction for us as we remember the fact that God takes care of one of us. But we consider it a blessing and a privilege to be able to thank you for your service, and that's what we do today. And I challenge you that this week that you find those people that you know that have served, um, to thank them personally, and to also take a moment in each one of your prayer times and continually lift them up, because we still have people that are out there serving and protecting our country. As we get ready for worship today, and we think about our freedoms and how blessed we are to have them, I'm going to ask that you join with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And Father, we know that through the sacrifices of so many people that I can stand on this stage today with freedom to worship you. 
And Father, there's a lot of things that Satan throws at us to distract us and and to keep us uh, pulled apart. But especially in this time, Father, let us unite not only as Americans, but as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and understand how you are in control of the situation. And Father, this week, as we look back on the ways that people have served in this country and the people that continue to serve, we just lift them up to you and we ask you to bless and protect for those that are going through struggles because of injuries and pain and, and wounds that they've received. We ask you continually to heal them. And Father, for our country, as we move forward, we pray for your guidance and your love to be the thing that we center around. And it's the thing that we focus. That as Americans, we can join together and serve you in a mighty way. Father, we love you and adore you. And today as we join in worship, we just ask that your spirit move among us, that we feel your presence, Father, that we know that all things are good through you. And Father, just join us in this place today. And we pray all these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all want to stand with us? We're going to raise a hallelujah. Hallelujah In the presence of my enemy I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody fight for me Cause I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roar Up from the ashes Hope will arise Death is defeated The King is
Thank you guys. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be able to come here on this Lord's Day and just uh, be reminded of that empty tomb 2,000 years ago that made all the difference. And uh, Lord, we need this day where we've been distracted and there's been so much noise and emotions this week. And, and now you've invited us to come here and to turn our attention to, to Jesus, to the cross, to an empty tomb, to salvation that's available. And uh, Lord, I pray you would remove every distraction. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. You, you said that when you left, you would send your helper, your comforter, your counselor. Uh, Lord, we need all those things, and we know your spirit provides them. And uh, we pray this morning that you would speak through your word. We believe that it is your word, that it's living and active, that it's sharp, that it has a, a work to accomplish in our hearts. Lord, we want to be able to think about our integrity this morning as we look at the life of Job. And so we ask that you might give us ears to hear and receptive hearts. And uh, if there's someone gathered here this morning that's not saved, we pray that uh, you would turn on the light for them to know their need of a Savior and uh, that Jesus has accomplished their salvation and that they can be saved this morning. We pray that they would hear that this morning. Speak through your word, we pray. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, if you want to turn to Job chapter 27, we're going to talk about how to maintain your integrity through suffering. And uh, we're going to try to cover really chapters 22 through 31. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of Job, and uh, the last couple of weeks we've gone through two rounds of counseling and uh, admonishing uh, accusations from these three so-called friends. We, we might call them frenemies because uh, sometimes they're more like enemies than they are friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And this morning we're going to look at round three, and uh, it's the shortest. Only two of them is going to speak uh, in round three. 
and I, I think that Job is, uh, hopefully we can learn how to maintain our integrity through suffering. And so if you'll stand with me, I'll just start in uh, Job chapter 27. I'll read verses 1 through 6, and uh, we'll dive in there. I also want to thank our veterans. Thank you for your service. Uh, thank you so much for that. And Job again took up his disclosure and said, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days." All right, you can be seated, and may the Lord bless His Word, and, and uh, may our testimony be that of Job's, that we, we hold fast our t integrity. Uh, and so, by the time we get to Job chapter 22, Job has sat and listened to uh, these rounds, these three men offer their counsel. Again, they're, they're really black and white. They think suffering is caused by sin. Job's suffering, therefore he must have sinned. Uh, he's getting what he deserves, and actually, they've said he's not. God's been lenient on him. He's he's not giving him what he really what he deserves. Even though he's lost his all of his kids and all of his wealth and everything, uh, and so uh, Job, of course, he maintains his integrity, his innocence. Verse twenty seven, he says, "I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days." The New Living Translation of this is, I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. And I, Church, that's a good way to live, that our conscience is clear before God. And, uh, and so Job knew that there was no underlying, unconfessed sin in his life that was causing his suffering. And so he defends himself against such accusations. And again, from last week, what ultimately matters is not what others think about you, what ultimately matters is what God knows, and He knows the truth, doesn't He? And so, uh, first thing I want you to see this morning is that Job recognizes the error of his counselors. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've kind of uh, highlighted some of the errors uh, in, in their counsel, in their advice. Uh, let me point out just a, a couple more things in chapter 22 and chapter 25. First of all, in chapter 22, notice... Eliphaz offered false hope. False hope. If you remember back in chapter 4, Eliphaz uh, claimed to have received some special vision from God in which uh, God told him that the reason for Job's suffering uh, was sin. And uh, we know that's not the case. <clears throat> Uh, we got to be careful of those people who have a special vision from God. Listen, God has spoken again from His Word, and we can be certain that this is from God. Uh, we don't know about all that other stuff. Uh, and so chapter 22, verse 5, uh, at the end of verse 5 there, it, it says, uh, Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. Uh, back to verse 3. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to Him if you make your ways blameless? Does it make sense, Eliphaz says, uh, that God would bring this suffering upon you if you were blameless? That wouldn't make sense. And then Eliphaz tries to point out some of the ways in which he thinks Job might have sinned against others. Now listen to some of these in, in uh, verse 6. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing, 
and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness, so that you cannot see, and a flood of waters covers you. And so he says, you, you must have done some of these things. You've sent widows away without helping them, and you've taken clothes from the... Uh, just crazy stuff. Just crazy stuff. And uh, verse 12, Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest, highest stars, how lofty they are? But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deepest darkness? And so there, Eliphaz acts as if Job has been sinning and he's tried to do it in the darkness to try to hide it from God. And, uh, and then Eliphaz offers a solution. Now we like solutions, but this is the same solution that uh, the other three friends have been offering. Verse 21, agree with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. Receive instructions from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents. Now just think about what Eliphaz is saying. Basically what he's saying is, Job, if you will admit that you really are as wicked as I have been claiming you are, and if you will turn back to God, then you'll be restored and God's light will shine upon you again. That all sounds good, doesn't it? And, and sometimes the worst poison tastes the sweetest. Uh, but basically, Eliphaz just says, uh, uh, you just got to turn back to God. Well, we know the whole story, don't we? We know that this isn't the case for him. And, and, uh, and so we know that Eliphaz offers a false hope based on his twisted theology. His theology says that there is a strict one-to-one -one relationship between uh, a specific sin and specific suffering. And so he believes that the corollary is true. If you repent and you turn to God, then he will bless you with material prosperity and personal wealth and welfare. And, and listen, church, I just want you to know that that is common theology today. That's very popular. If you listen on the TV, if you listen to people like Kenneth Copeland and Joe Olstein and Creflo Dollar and, and many others, they preach this prosperity gospel and it teaches almost the same stuff that Eliphaz is teaching here. Basically, you do good, you say the right words, and God is just waiting to bless you with health and wealth and prosperity. Was that true for Job? No. That wasn't true for Job. And so it's not true. Was it true for Jesus' disciples? No. No. You know, there's a video that went viral this week. I don't know, you might have saw it. Paula White, who's a spiritual advisor for the president. Anybody see that? She's up there behind the pulpit saying, I feel a victory, I feel a victory, I feel a victory, I feel a victory. Strike, strike, strike until you have victory. And she's, strike, strike. Almost as if if we strike enough, then God has to do what we tell Him to do. That's heresy, church. That's foolishness. How'd that work out? Well, it didn't. And, and so Creflo Dollar says this, The tongue in your mouth will control every inch of your physical body. Do not tolerate sickness and disease. Talk to all the major organs of your body. That's called name it, claim it theology, and it is not found in the teachings of Scripture. Jesus doesn't teach that. Paul doesn't teach that. We shouldn't buy it so easily, church. It's foolishness. It brings a false hope. Listen, here's the truth. Life is hard sometimes. Good people go through hard times sometimes. That, that's the truth. 
And while we want to figure everything out, and while we prefer simple answers and easy solutions, that's just not the way it is. And so Eliphaz offers a false hope. And then over in chapter 25, Bildad, uh, he's the legalist, he, he has to chime in. And, and uh, if Eliphaz offers a false hope, then Bildad offers no hope. And, and again, there's some truth in some of the things that they say. Notice in 25, dominion and, and, uh, dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in the high heavens. Is there any numbers of his armies upon whom does his light not arise? How then can man be right before God? And, and, and so God is vast and, and utterly transcendent. That, that's right. Uh, then in 4 through 6, how can a man be upright before God? That, that's a good question. We know the answer to that through Christ. But uh, how can he be who is born of woman be pure? Behold, behold, even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. Now, I, I, I agree with the, the doctrine of the total depravity of man. We, we are sinners and uh, we have wrong motives. And, and, uh, and so he says maggot and, and worm and uh, I'm not so much a problem with what Bildad says here, but, but really the problem is what he doesn't say. Uh, he leaves us as maggots and worms with no grounds for hope. And uh, so the fact is, Job, you're a sinner. God is angry with you. That's all, There's no, that, that's all there is. There's no hope. And listen, we know that we have hope, don't we? We look back to last week and Job, in the midst of his despair, says, I know my Redeemer lives. We know that, that our Redeemer lives. Isaac Newton wrote at the cross in, in one of the, the verses, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Church, that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He died for a worm like, like me and, and you. But unfortunately, Bildad doesn't offer any hope to Job. And uh, So chapter 25 is interesting. It's the shortest uh, chapter uh, in Job, and I don't know if if uh, Job just cuts Bildad off. He can't listen to it anymore, and he just cuts him off. Or I don't know if Bildad run out of things to say to Job. But but Bildad not only is a legalist, but he's a pessimist. And uh, listen, more and more people, in, including Christians, are so pessimistic. And here's the truth. Let me just tell you the truth. There's way too many Christians that are a lot more concerned about politics and the economy than they are about the gospel. And I have to look in the mirror a little bit this week. We've got to be careful with that. We've we got to see that. Listen, our land is not hopeless because we have the gospel and the gospel still saves and the gospel still changes lives and there's still hope. Whenever the gospel is there, it's, there there's hope. Listen, the, the hope of the gospel has nothing to do with who's in the White House or, or Wall Street or the stock market or what's in your bank account. Come on, somebody. The hope of the gospel has nothing to do with any of those things. Listen, what Christians need to understand is material blessings are not always a blessing. Sometimes they can be a cursing. Many people have loved their riches all the way to hell. I have friends in Haiti and India and they are materially poor, but they are spiritually rich because they are in Christ. And so our hope, church, is not in the government or in finances. It's in Christ. And so not only does Job recognize the errors of his counselors, but, but we notice that his response is that Job treasured the words of God. So look in chapter 23. This is his response to, 
Eliphaz, verse 11, My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Listen, if we're going to weather the storms of life, we need to love and treasure God's word. And it's only in God's word that we find truth to anchor our souls. Listen, we, we want truth. We, we don't always know where the truth is coming from, but we know that this word is truth, church. This is truth. Uh, prosperity teachings, they, they may be tempting, but they, they do not align with the word of God. Here, here's what the word of God says about suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live for Christ will be persecuted. That's what the Word of God says. Romans 5, 3 tells us more than that. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, hope that doesn't disappoint. And so suffering is a part of this life. Listen, we can acknowledge the, the mysteries of life, and we can bow before the sovereign Lord and we can say with Job there in verse 10, but he knows the ways that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. And so if we say that we believe and we love the word of God, we must acknowledge that scripture teaches that we will face suffering in this world. I, I want you to know that. I, I want you to even expect it when it comes that these this word tells us that we should expect it. Which leads to the third point, Job knew some truths about God. Now I want to reiterate something I said back in Job 1. Job is not primarily about Job, it's primarily about God. As Job goes through his severe suffering, he, he speaks sometimes as if he's lost in a maze. And so there in chapter 23, he, he, he doesn't see justice. Uh, verse 2, today my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groanings. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I, I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know uh, what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. I, I just, I want audience with God. Uh, and in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I, I do not see him. And, and so Job feels like that God is far away. He's searching for God. He can't find God. But just notice verse 10. Uh, but he knows the way that I take. I can't seem to find him, but he knows. the. Listen, God knows where we're at. God knows where we're at. So Job says, I can't find God. I can't make sense of all this, but here's what I know. He knows the way that I take. I can't see him. I'm living in this darkness, thick darkness for Job. I mean, we can relate to that sometimes. So there's times where we, we just feel like we're in the darkness, but his eyes never lose sight of me. God knows where I'm at. Whatever we may go through, church, we're not alone. God knows where we're at. Secondly, Job also knew that God has a purpose for everything. Again, the end of verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried, tested me, I shall come out as gold. That, that word for tried or tested means to put a precious metal 
uh, through a process of, of smelting or, or refining. And, and during that process, the impurities are burned up and the pure metal, the pure gold is what remains. And so Job is basically saying that God is putting me to the test to, uh, to prove my, that my faith is pure gold. He, God's not testing it for himself. He knows how Job's going to come out, but he, he's proving it to Satan. We saw that back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. If in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen to this. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom you've not seen and you love. And so we, we don't like the trials, uh, but it is proving the genuineness of your faith. Now, Job had lots of questions, but he was certain about a couple things. One is that the eyes of God is always on him, wherever he may be whatever trial he may go through, and secondly, that God has a purpose and will work through those trials to refine his faith. Now, we'll talk more about God's purposes in suffering, uh, but just be assured, church, that God does have a purpose, and one of those purposes is refining our faith so that it will be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing, and this is important, uh, Job knew that God is great and he's above all. Uh, chapter 26, I, we won't spend too much time there. Um, after Job tells Bildad that he's not helped his suffering, he begins to focus on God and the power and the, the authority of God. And just a, a few examples, verse 7, chapter 26, he stretches out the north over the void and he hangs the earth on nothing. And so Job says, I, I look up and God, he, he stretches out the heavens like a, like a tent on a pole. And uh, hangs the earth on nothing. So Job is one of the earliest books of the Bible, and, and Job is, is talking about the earth, and it's, it's, there's not something holding the earth up, and the earth is rotating, and, and we know that it, it rotates at, at 23 and a half degrees, and if it was any more or any less, we'd be a polar ice cap or we would burn up. And we, we know that God holds it all perfectly, and Job is he's reminding himself of that. He, he, notice verse 8. He binds up the waters in the thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them job says there are clouds that hold water and and they're not broken by the weight hey think about that you most of you flown and you, you fly through clouds and they're they're just they're fluffy they have no substance and that somehow the creator of the universe holds water in clouds that have no substance and, and then he tells the clouds with no substance to release the rain and it and does that amaze you? Yeah. And so we'll return more to the greatness of God in the last few chapters. Uh, the last few chapters of Job are just awesome. Uh, God's going to kind of give his answer. Uh, but, but Job knows that God is great and he is above all. And then the fourth thing is Job maintains his integrity. And uh, we read that in chapter 27. Verse 2, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, 
As long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood. I, I'm not going to say things that aren't true. My tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. I, you guys, what you're saying is not right. I'm not going to agree with you. Until I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. Now you think about all that Job's going through, all that he's lost, all the roller coaster of emotions. And, and as he deals with these friends and thinks about what's going on, he reflects on how good things were uh, in chapter 29, verse 2. Oh, that I were in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. We, we all have that time when we, we think back about, man, those were good days. And oh, when the kids were there and when this and what, those were good days. But everything for Job changed in the blink of an eye. And verse 30, verse 16, and now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. And so these chapters remind us that, that Job is still suffering. He's still mourning his losses. He still has questions. He still longs for justice. And yet through it all, Job maintains his integrity. And you say, what is integrity? It's, it's, it's moral uprightness. It's, it's honesty. It's it's right standing with God. It's not being sinless, but it's, it's being morally upright. And that takes us back to the claim that, that God made in chapter 2, verse 3. After Satan had taken away his children and his livestock and all that he had, Job 2, 3, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And church, I just want you to know that when we know and we trust God, we can maintain our integrity even through the hardships of life. Now let me pause here and just kind of tread some tender ground this morning. When things don't go the way we want it to, will, will we still maintain our integrity? That's a good question for us to answer this morning. Will you still be the man of God, the woman of God that God desires when things don't go the way you wanted them to? What kind of witness are, are we going to be when we respond like the rest of the world when things don't go the way we wanted them to? And I hope this morning that, that Job will teach us some things about maintaining our integrity. And then finally, Job trusted in the wisdom of God. Uh, chapter 28 is... It, Job kind of offers a prolonged meditation on wisdom, our search for wisdom, the wisdom of God. And uh, he, he begins by uh, giving us a picture of a, a mine, like someone who goes into a mine, goes underground looking for silver or gold or, or some precious material. And, and so surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. And, and so he's talking a, a picture of, of, of trying to find something that's precious Verse 2, iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore and gloom and deep darkness. He, he opens shafts in a valley away from where everyone lives. And so in other words, uh, he, he's a picture of human beings uh, tunneling through the secret places, trying to find wisdom and understanding. And, and that's what Job feels like he's been trying to do. He's digging, mining, searching. Uh, toiling in the in the deep in the dark mine of of suffering and and loss and and he's he's looking for the wisdom and the ways of God and he says it doesn't come easy down to verse twelve but but where shall wisdom be found 
And where is the place of understanding? Verse 13, man does not know its worth. It's not found in the land of the living. Verse 14, the deep says it's not in me. The sea says it's not in me. I, I mean, so he, Job is just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking everywhere for, for wisdom. Verse 15, it cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed. I'm, it, it, you, you can't buy wisdom. The wisdom of God is not for sale. And so Job is saying that, man, having gone down into the deep mind shaft of suffering in search of wisdom, it simply cannot be found, verse 13, in the land of the living. In other words, a man cannot find God's wisdom by mere human efforts. And so look at verse 20. Job asks this question, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living, concealed from the birds of the air. And so if you were hoping that we'd have all the answers in Job, we don't. Some things of God are hidden, and they're beyond human understanding. Paul makes a, a similar point in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14 when he speaks about God's wisdom. He says, the natural man, that, that's, that's the lost person, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, Paul's point is that God's ways make no sense to a person who stands outside of an intimate living relationship with Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. Some things are just foolish. And here's the truth, church. Until the Spirit of Christ takes hold of your life and opens your eyes, the Christian faith, the reality of sin, the sovereignty of God, the brokenness of the world, none of that will make any sense. And it's foolishness because Paul says it's spiritually discerned. It can only be grasped by the enabling power of the Spirit. And now, Job doesn't leave us here, thankfully. He, he turns us to the Lord. Verse 23, God understands the way of it, and He knows its place. No one but God knows true wisdom. And so verse 28 is very important. And, and He said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Now, we recognize some of this language. Proverbs, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so here, I want you to see this. Job has searched for wisdom, and he has come to realize that wisdom is found only in the context of a relationship with God. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. And so, church, Job was able to cling to his integrity through his suffering because he feared the Lord and he trusted the wisdom and the ways of God. Now, we sometimes wonder, what exactly is the fear of God? If you remember back in chapter 1, verse, verse 8, God says about Job, he's blameless, upright, fears the Lord, and shuns evil. He says that three times about Job, that he fears the Lord. What does that mean? But well, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that we're paralyzed by fear. I, I believe that it means that we're emboldened and we're energized by the Lord. It, it involves living with reverence and in awe of God. Let me give you three reasons why we should fear God. First is because of His ultimate authority over life. Ultimately, God is in authority. He created us. He has authority. 
And uh, we're going to see that in a big way in the last chapters. And so I'll, I'll just go on to the next one. Secondly, is because uh, he is the one who brings ultimate justice. Church, we can trust God's justice completely. And, and not only his justice in this life, but listen, one day he's going to return as the righteous judge of the world. And he's going to make everything right. We, we can trust that. And then thirdly is just because of his ultimate goodness. We can be sure, church, that God is good and He is working things for our good and for His glory. When you and I fear the Lord, we will seek to follow His Word and obey His commandments. When we fear the Lord, we'll give Him our wholehearted service. When we fear the Lord, we will live for His glory and honor and like Job, we will be able to maintain our integrity. Now, you won't have it all figured out but you'll seek His ways. Now I know I'm out of time this morning. Let me just kind of get to the bottom line for us today. And I think if I was going to give you the bottom line, it's just simply that Jesus is everything we need because He is the wisdom of God. He is the source of our greatest need, which is salvation and redemption. And so I'm going to just say Jesus is what we need. I, I could go further. Jesus is all that we need. Because when we have Jesus, we can face the trials of life and we can persevere and we can maintain our integrity. And ultimately, church, we don't have to defend ourselves because we know that God's justice will be perfect one day. But listen, if you stand outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, one day you will stand before the righteous judge of the world. And because you're a sinner, and we're all sinners... But outside of a relationship with Christ, you will receive the just punishment for sin. And the just punishment for sin is, a, is hell. It's eternal separation from God. And God will be just. The wages of sin is death and separation from God. But this morning, before we close, I, I want you to know that God offers grace and forgiveness of our sins. And, and we know some things about God. We know He loves us. We know John 3.16, God so loved us that He, that he sent His only Son. We, he loved us that much. And we know that Jesus came, and, and not just came, but He lived a sinless life. And we know that Jesus went to the cross and bore our sins and died and took the punishment that we deserved. And, and He died and was buried and He rose again. And listen, church, He offers to forgive us and to save us if we'll turn from our sins and believe upon the Lord Jesus in His sacrifice for our sins. He'll save us. And so as we close this morning, listen to me. Jesus is coming back one of these days. And if you're not saved, you should be filled with fear because you are living under the wrath of God. And so this morning, I invite you to be saved. If you'll come to Him, He will save you and He'll walk with you and He'll grant you His wisdom. And so would you be saved today if you're not? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and uh, some things we need to hear today. We pray that we would be people who maintain our integrity even when life doesn't go the way we want it to. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, we've been reminded today of what Jesus has done for us in the cross. And uh, just one day you're coming back. The God who created us and the God who holds the rain in those clouds and the God who holds the earth by nothing. 
You're coming back, Lord. And there's some that aren't ready for that. And so I pray this morning that some would come to you and confess their sins, believe upon Jesus and be saved. And Lord, you know the other needs in this body. We pray that we'd be receptive to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and listen, I'd invite you to respond. If, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I'd love to talk to you about a relationship with Him. And uh, He says, if you'll confess me before me, and I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And so if you need to confess Jesus today, come and, come and talk to me. Until it was
Be seated for just a moment. Let me take this off. All right. Just a, a couple things. Uh, again, Bible study at 930. Uh, if you don't have a Bible study group uh, in the lower atrium, we're going to talk about why does God allow suffering this morning. And so we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. And I just want to mention uh, next week, the 15th through the 18th, uh, I'll be preaching revival in Harrisburg, Kentucky. And I sure would appreciate your prayers. Uh, just pray that God would, would use me at Bethel Baptist in Harrisburg, Kentucky. Uh, so put me on your list, if you will. And uh, at this time, uh, Jonathan and Sarah, if you all will come down. And uh, it's exciting for us. Uh, we've had a, a search team for a, a while. Uh, Kevin left a year ago. And, uh, and, of course, COVID came and slowed everything down. Uh, but the search team has found Jonathan and Sarah from West Virginia. And they came and shared their testimony, answered questions yesterday. Uh, I'm going to let Jonathan tell you a little, a little bit about him and Sarah. And uh, after that, then Ken's going to call us into a, a short business meeting. So you you ready? Okay. All righty. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're excited to be here this morning. My name's Jonathan. This is my wife, Sarah. Uh, we've been married for about five years now, and uh, we have been called into ministry. Uh, and my focus has always been on students and young adults. And so we're super excited about this opportunity and super excited to be here uh, this morning. Uh, just to give you a little tiny bit of information about me, we're from uh, Huntington, West Virginia, and we've kind of lived there our whole life. Um, I grew up in church, so I was kind of around church stuff my entire life. Uh, I had a conversion experience around the age of six, but it was something that never really meant anything to me. So I grew up very falsely Christian uh, in a Christian home, so I... I kind of figured out how to act Christian and be Christian while on the inside I was lost. Uh, around the time that I reached high school, I started to fall into the wrong group of people at school. I started to fall into sin and fall farther and farther away from Christ. Um, shortly into my senior year, I uh, went on a student uh, group retreat where the pastor talked about uh, dying to oneself and allowing Christ to be the Lord of your life. And through that weekend, I really realized that I was the one who was in charge of my life, and I was incredibly hurting and incredibly unhappy. And so at that point is when I realized that I needed to let Jesus be in control of my life. And so I remember that moment and remember feeling like the crushing weight of my sin and, and feeling my lostness and just finding Christ. And uh, my wife and I were talking this morning uh, when the date that that happened was November 12th of 2010. So I'm about three or four days away from, from being on this walk with God for 10 years now. But shortly after that, we, uh, I, or I felt the call of ministry on my life. And in college, I met my wife, Sarah, and we had an opportunity to serve and do student ministry. And that's something that I've always loved. Uh, one of the passions that I have 
in ministry is just a desire to reunite people and reunite students with the Word of God because I think we've fallen so far away from just being in love with the Word of God and, and reading the Word of God and just dwelling in it. But that's kind of a little bit about us, and, and we've enjoyed getting to meet you guys this weekend, and we've been very thankful for uh, just you guys coming and asking questions and just seeing us. Good morning, guys. Um, I guess if, if, if you're not a member or you don't want to participate in the vote, now would be an opportunity for you to leave. If you want to leave, you can go ahead and do that.